you guys should be very grateful that I'm not part of the choir. I would have spoiled their music. And um, I'm grateful that we are surrounded by people that are willing to give up their time, their resources, in order to make sure that the mission of Christ will continue. And I want to praise God for Avondale Memorial Church. And when I mean that church, I do not mean the bricks or the building. I mean the people. The young and old, we all are pulling our weight because we feel compelled by the love of Christ to continue the mission. And I like to think that everyone, as we have been gifted differently, we continue to serve God for one purpose, and that is to prepare this world for the soon return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. I just want to let you know that your presence here this morning is not an accident. If you're here for the first time, we are blessed to have you in our midst. And I just want to let you know that we have prayed for you. Every single week, we are praying that God's Spirit will bring someone new into our midst. We are praying that people will be uh, listening to the voice of God as He's drawing them near. If this is your second, your third, your hundredth time, we are blessed to have you in our midst. And uh, it is my prayer this morning that uh, not me, but God will speak to your heart. I hope that you'll be comforted, that you'll be encouraged. And if necessary, maybe we'll all be rebuked sometimes because we need it from time to time to make sure that we remain on the straight and narrow path. I want to share with you this morning a story uh, that in a way displays God's relentless uh, love towards us. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name correct, but in 1971, anyone was alive back then? 1971? A couple of you? In 1971, Julianne had graduated from high school in Lima, Peru, and she decided to fly with her mother uh, to join their father that was in a, um, uh, in a research station in the Amazon jungle. A half hour into the flight, they encountered a horrific storm. The plane was struck by lightning and fell into a nosedive. The plane broke into pieces, and suddenly... Julianne found herself outside of the plane, free-falling three kilometers. We know this story because Julianne actually survived and she lived to tell the story. She was free-falling three kilometers. She records, and these are her words, I was suspended in mid-air, still in my seat. The plane wasn't there anymore. Before she lost consciousness, Julianne saw the dense jungle, the Amazon jungle below her. Somehow, we do not know, we cannot explain, she survived a three-kilometer fall. Uh, but surviving the fall was just the beginning. Sadly, the rest of the passengers, 91 of them, have all perished in that aircraft accident. 91 have perished. Julianne was the sole survivor. As I said, surviving the fall was just the beginning because as she woke up hours later, she was wet, covered with mud, and she was still strapped to her seat. I guess she was having the seatbelt on. She had a fractured bone in her neck, concussion, and deep cuts in her leg and back, and she was all alone in the Amazon jungle 
She realized that her only hope was to follow the little stream of water. Surprisingly, she felt no hunger for days after days. But sadly, her health was deteriorating. The gash in her shoulder where flies had laid their eggs was now crawling with maggots. She had to stay mainly in the water to, avo to avoid dangers and infections in the jungle. But as she was walking through the water, she had to avoid crocodiles. And bear in mind, Julian just finished high school. And she survived a three-kilometer fall from the plane. On the tenth day, as she was walking through the jungle, Amazon jungle, on the tenth day, Julianne spotted a hut and canoes. Rescue was at hand for Julianne. If you'd like to know more about this story, you can watch a documentary entitled Wings of Hope. You can find it on YouTube, those that are you know, familiar with the internet. Wings of Hope, and you can get to hear the entire story about Julianne and how, you know, the plane crashed and she survived that amazing fall. And as I heard this story, it was impossible for me not to think, you know, why Julianne? Why was she the only one? We don't have answers to all of these questions. But as I thought, you know, she, she fell into this jungle, right? Not only she, she, she survived, but she managed to find help 10 days later as she walked through the jungle. And I think Julianne and, and, and us, we all have something in common with this young lady. We have all fallen to sin. And the Bible tells us that because of God's relentless love... We do not have to end in sin. We have survived this fall, and God wants us to reach out for help. And this morning, I would like us to spend a bit of time discovering God's relentless love for you. And what it does to your life, how it impacts your life, and what actually it does to others. We do not have to perish in sin. God has provided the way out. And we're going to understand together how is that possible. I want to take you to a passage in 2 Kings chapter 21, and we are going to discover the depths of sin. We're going to study a character. We're going to mainly spend time in, in Kings and maybe in Chronicles. I'll put some other verses on, on the screen. But we are going to follow the life of a man that is described in 2 Kings chapter 21. So if you have your mobile phones, tablets, laptops, hard copy of the Bible, please follow me. It always makes a difference to, to hold something in your hands and to read uh, as I, or to follow as I read this passage from Second Kings chapter 21. And we'll begin with verses uh, 1 and 2. Second Kings 21, verses 1 and 2. And we are going to study this morning the life of a man named Manasseh. The life of a man named Manasseh. I hope that those that are watching us on TV in the comfort of their homes will be blessed by the study we are having this morning. Second Kings chapter 21 verses 1 and 2, it says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, was, Hepzibah. Yeah, you got it. It's there. That's why I told you to follow up. Now, this is what it says about Manasseh. That's why it's important to study his life because we are studying about the depths of sin. 
He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, let me share something with you about Manasseh. Manasseh's dad was King Hezekiah. Now, some of you might be familiar with King Hezekiah as you read through the Bible. Some of you may not know. I just want to share this with you about this this King Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. He was one of the few faithful kings in the land of Judah. One of the few kings that actually worshipped God against all odds. And what's known about King Hezekiah is this. When King Hezekiah was on his deathbed, he prayed to God for healing. And God, according to the Bible, tells us God gave him another 15 years. So Manasseh grew up in a house where his dad was was nearly dead, but God healed him and God gave him another 15 years of life. According to rabbinical literature or Jewish tradition, Manasseh's mother or Hezekiah's wife was the daughter of the prophet Isaiah. So this tells us that Manasseh grew up in a, in a religious home, in a home where, you know, they were worshiping God, they were praying to God, they were doing all the right things, and sadly, Manasseh made his own choices and left God behind him. Even though Hezekiah, his father, prayed to God, even though his mother was the daughter of a prophet, Manasseh had the freedom to make his own choices, and sadly, he didn't make good choices. And we're going to look at some verses that help us to understand how bad this God, because like, he was the worst of the worst in the land of Judah. If you go through the history of the Judah, hundreds of years, you look at all the kings, Manasseh stands out as the worst. Even though he had an amazing upbringing, he went to the temple as a young boy, he heard the prayer of his father, he witnessed the miracle. His grandfather, Isaiah, was a prophet. I mean, can you get more religious than this? It's like as if you're born in Kurumbong and you've attended Memorial Church for your entire life and you went through Avondale Sanitarium and here you are. You can't get any better than this. And still, you get someone like Manasseh that turns his back to God and to everything. Look at the verse Verse 5, 2 Kings 21, verse 5. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of God. Verse 6, he made his son pass through the fire. Now, before we read any further, it seemed to us and to the commentators of the Bible is that during the reign of Manasseh, every single religion Every single faith was entertained and embraced and practiced apart from the old religion of Israel. He just brought everything under the sun into Jerusalem. But he kicked out the very religion that he grew up in. He built altars to all the hosts of heaven, to the courts of the house of God. He made his son pass through the fire, his own son. Archaeology tells us that back then they were building idols made out of metal with hands stretched out on which parents were laying their own children. 
And because this, this idol was made out of metal, they had fire underneath the idol that the whole metal will be burning and will be hot so the children will die and be received by the idols they were worshipping. And here you have this, this king, Manasseh, doing all these things, building idols in the very courthouse of God. It says later on in, in verse 6, he practiced soothsaying, the very thing that God spoke against, witchcraft, the very thing that was denied. He consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Manasseh, my friends, traveled into the depths of sin. A good summary of Manasseh's life is found in verse 9, 2 Kings 21, verse 9. They paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. We are told that Manasseh not only sinned himself, not only he rebelled against God, but he led the entire nation away from God. In other words, Manasseh traveled into the depths of sin. He went as far as he can go from God. Not only that, but he influenced others to turn away from God. I just want you to think of the next question. Have you ever influenced someone to turn their back to God? Just think of that. Have you ever influenced someone to turn their back to God? Have you encouraged them to stop reading the Bible? Have you encouraged them to stop coming to a church service, to a Bible study? Have you ever done that? This is what Manasseh was doing. The purpose of his life was to turn everyone away from God. And he was influencing others to rebel against God. I'd like you to look at this verse that we have in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 42. And this is Jesus saying to his disciples, If he calls one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large milestone hung around your neck. In other words, here's the point. I cannot make anyone sin, but I can be an influence in their life, either for good or or for bad. And Jesus is saying that we have a responsibility the way in which we use our influence. If we are helping people to actually turn their attention to God or against Him. Ellen White made this statement and she said, Every act of our lives affects others for good or for evil. Just bear that in mind. Every single act, every single word, every single expression influences someone to worship God or to turn against him. In addition to this, when you are in a leadership position like Manasseh was, and you encourage people to do evil, your influence is greater than if you're just a normal person. But God, in the midst of this, he calls us to be an example. Look at what Titus says in chapter 2, verse 7. And you yourself must, make, must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. God wants us to be aware that our life is an influence to those around us. The way we spend our money, the way we behave, the way we speak, the way we do our work when no one is watching, 
is an influence around those that watch us. So the question is, was Manasseh a good example to his nation, to his own family? Sadly, no, because he traveled into the depths of sin. Look what it says in 2 Kings 21, verses 16 to 18, as we wrap up his life in a way. At least that's what the kings tell us. 16 to 18. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another with blood. Besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 17. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house, in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Amon reigned in his place. In the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White says that Manasseh had a way of silencing every voice of disapproval. If someone contradicted him, if someone was trying to rebuke him, if someone tried to correct him, if someone was trying to bring him back to God, he would kill them. That's why he filled Jerusalem with blood. According to rabbinical tradition or Jewish uh, uh, writings, it is believed that Manasseh killed his own father-in-law, prophet Isaiah, the father of his wife, because Isaiah would speak against his sin. And Manasseh had enough of this rebuke, so he killed him. And sadly, according to the story in the Kings, he killed all these prophets, he killed all the messengers of God, and he kept pursuing his rebellion. And if you were to stop just in Kings, you get the impression that Manasseh died as a lost man. Is that the picture you're getting? Because he traveled into the depths of sin. But we are here this morning to talk about God's relentless love. A God that does not give up on you when you turn your back to Him. And the reason why I'm not sharing this passage is not so much maybe for you here today. But I believe that you may have children, family members, relatives, neighbors that have traveled into the depths of sin. Maybe you're staying here today as a husband and a wife. And inside you are mourning that your child is no longer walking with the Lord. Maybe you're staying here, not by choice, but maybe you're forced by circumstances to be here and you do not have a relationship with the Lord. Well, I'm here to tell you that God's relentless love will pursue you to the ends of the world to bring you back home. And the message of hope that I'm here to share with you this morning is that God did not give up on Manasseh, which means that God will not give up on your children that may not be in the church today. That may not be worshiping God today. And if you're here forced by circumstances, God has not stopped fighting for you. Because God's relentless love is there to bring you back. And the reason why I chose Manasseh is because it's an amazing story of conversion and comeback. And the lengths that God takes in order to bring someone back into his fold. You know, Manasseh's name means one who forgets. That's what it means. One who forgets. And sadly, he forgot God's law. It was during his reign that the law was actually lost. The law given by God to Moses during Manasseh's reign was lost. 
the nation lost direction. They have no understanding about God. And the law was eventually found during Josiah's reign, who was a grandson of Manasseh. So here's the question. What happens when you reach the depths of sin? What happens when you turn your back to God? What happens when your child, when your husband, when your wife, when your sibling, when your relatives refuse the counsel of the Bible, refuse the counsel of godly people in their lives? What's next? Is that the end of the journey? Is there any hope left for them? Can they still be forgiven? Maybe you're here today and you're wondering if God will have you back after everything you have done. Maybe you're wondering if God will receive your children back after everything they have done. I'm not sure if you're noticing, but from where I'm standing, we've got a number of empty seats in the church today. And these seats are pretty empty on a regular basis. And it can be empty because people have moved away or whatever. But some of them are empty because people have stopped walking with the Lord. Question is, will God have them back? Is God's relentless love still pursuing them? I want to share with you what actually happened to Manasseh. And we're going to discover the heights of God's love. From the depths of sin to the heights of God's love. Second Chronicles chapter 33 This is where the story of King Manasseh continues in a different light. Second Chronicles chapter 33, and we are going to read to begin with verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. On a regular basis, Manasseh was a king for 55 years. On a regular basis, day after day, week after week, year after year, God would speak to Manasseh and to the nation of Israel, to Judah. And the Bible tells us they would not listen. I mean, when God fights for you, he doesn't fight just for a week and then he gives up on you. When God fights for your children, he doesn't do it just for a month or for a year. He fights year after year after year after year. For 55 years, God wrestled with Manasseh. And every single time, Manasseh got stubborn and stubborn and more stubborn. Verse 11, therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks bound him with bronze feathers and carried him off to Babylon. After all this, God said, I'm going to try something new. He didn't listen to my prophets. He killed them. He didn't listen to his parents. He didn't listen to anyone. He he got rid of everyone. Well, I'm going to do something new for Manasseh. I'm going to take him to Babylon. And this is a, a description of how Manasseh was carried away from Judah to Babylon. And it was a sign of humiliating someone, you know, putting that... That, 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 that hook and, and the ring into your nose. You know, people are paying big bucks nowadays to get that uh, thing in the nose. Uh, back then, it was a sign of humiliation, and you didn't pay any money to get it. It was done for free. Um, just wrong timing. But what I'm trying to say is that God tried various avenues to reach Manasseh's heart. He tried prophets didn't work. He tried through the temple, didn't work. He tried through his parents, didn't work. And God said, I'll come up with a new strategy. I'll take you into slavery. So the captain of the army of Assyria took him prisoner. 
And the reason why I'm sharing this is this gives me great peace and assurance that just as God fought for Manasseh's salvation, that he would come to a point in his life when he would be willing to repent, God is fighting for your repentance. That he will do whatever it takes for you to get to a point in life when you feel broken and you see nothing else apart from God. This story gives me assurance and it gives me hope that God will do whatever it takes for your child, for your spouse, for your relatives, for your friends, for your neighbors, so they can come to a full knowledge of who God is. God's relentless love pursues people in order to offer them a new life. God does not give up on you. Or on the person next to you. So look what happened. Verse 12 and 13. And for me these are like the most beautiful verses. Out of Manasseh's life. Verses 12 and 13. Now when he was in affliction. He implored the Lord his God. He did what? He implored the Lord his God. And humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. So there he was. Prophets didn't work. The religion taught at home by parents didn't work. The service at the temple didn't do anything to him. So here it is, broken, in prison. Everything is taken away from him. And what does he do? He reaches out to the very one that he tried to destroy in the land of Judah. To the very one that he mocked when he constructed idols into the temple. He influenced the entire nation to turn away from God and said, bow down to Asherah and bow down to Baal, but make sure you don't bow down to God. And when everything is gone, when everything is taken away from you, Manasseh, instead of reaching out to Baal, instead of reaching out to Asherah, he calmly came before God. He remembered the faith that he once tried to destroy. So what I'm telling you, the years that he have invested in training young minds for the kingdom of God, that information, my friend, is not lost. It will come to people's mind when it's most needed. And I just want to give a big shout to all the Sabbath school teachers, especially in the Sabbath school division, teens and juniors and youth. You know, the information that you share with young people will stay in their minds for the rest of their lives, even though they come to a point in life and they decide to leave the church. Because when they are broken and everything else has collapsed around them and they've got nothing to reach out for, they will remember the things they have learned in Sabbath school. They will remember the things they have learned in Adventures and Pathfinders. Your work done in the name of the Lord is not in vain. And Manasseh an example of that. That when everything was taken away from him, he reached out to the very God he tried to kill. And it's amazing how God answered the prayer of this wicked man. There was none wicked than like King Manasseh. Look, verse 13. And Manasseh prayed to him, prayed to God, and he received, can you hear that? He received his entreaty. God heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was 
God. I mean, nothing worked for him. All that Manasseh needed to experience was brokenness and slavery. And sometimes God will take your children and your family members and your relatives and your friends and you will bring them to a point of brokenness that they will understand that there is none other than God that can bring healing into their lives. As he was a prisoner in Assyria, Manasseh prayed for freedom. And he guess what? He was, he, was, he was freed and allowed to go back and be a king. In that prison in Assyria, Manasseh prayed for forgiveness. He prayed, Father, forgive me for killing your very prophet Isaiah. Father, forgive me for killing all those prophets that you have sent to convert me and rebuke me. I did not see the light. Forgive me for all my murders. Forgive me for erecting all those idols in your temple. Forgive me for leading your nation astray. I mean, you have done so much bad. You have done so much damage. You have destroyed so many families. You have impacted a nation. And all you do is just say, forgive me. And God does forgive you. This is God's relentless love. That he will do whatever it takes to have you in his kingdom. But what's amazing, what we learn from Manasseh, is that he appealed to God's relentless love. He felt pursued by God, and he answered that pursuit. He answered that pursuit. I've got a quote here from Spirit of Prophecy. Oh, maybe I don't. There you go. In the case of Manasseh, the Lord gives us an instance of the way in which he works. His life is on purpose in the Bible. He has not left his backsliding people to the will of the enemy, but has borne long with them even during obdurate apostasy. What I'm telling you is a message of hope that if you're crying for someone in your heart today, children, relatives, spouses, that may not be walking with the Lord, and maybe they are in apostasy, God has not given up on them, and you shouldn't. We have reason to offer thanksgiving to God that he has not taken his spirit from those who have refused to walk in his way. That just as he fought for Manasseh's salvation, God will fight for your own salvation and for the salvation of those in your family that today may be far away from the Lord. Despite all the damage that he had done, Manasseh received forgiveness. The Bible tells us in John 6.36, The one who comes to me, I will not cast out. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you're crying for someone in your heart. Or maybe you're wondering if God will forgive you for the things you have done. God's relentless love is pursuing you. But he wants you to respond to his love. C.S. Lewis once said, the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, His love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins. In other words, God does not love me more because I'm here preaching the gospel than He loves the person that is in apostasy. His love for us is not influenced by our sins. He suffers when people are away from him, but he loves us all the same. 
It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we should be cured of those sins, at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. And this statement was displayed in the life of Manasseh. God was determined to save him, to accept him, to forgive him, to bring him back. God was relentless in his pursuit for Manasseh, and God is relentless in his pursuit for you, for your children, for your family. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. That wherever you may be, he will reach you there. And in response to God's relentless love, Manasseh did this amazing thing, and it's called repentance. What is repentance? Ellen White has this uh, comprehensive uh, definition of what repentance is. Repentance includes sorrow for sin and also turning away from it. It's not like, God, I'm sorry for this, but you just keep on doing it as if you don't care. It's sorrow for that and you turn away from that. We shall not renounce sin unless we see its sinfulness. Until we turn away from it in heart, there will be no real change in life. And I want to finish this morning talking about God's, the power of God's grace and what happened in Manasseh's life and how was that displayed in his life. Manasseh was in Assyria in prison. He prayed for forgiveness. He received forgiveness. He prayed that he may be set free and allowed to go back to Judah and he was set free and allowed to return to Judah. He prayed that he may be king again, and he was instituted as king again. And look what it says in verses 15 and 16. This is Manasseh going back home in the land of Judah, in Jerusalem. He realized the damage he had done. He realized the harm he had produced in that land. Look what it says in verse 15. Here, referring to Manasseh, he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. What is this, my friends? This is called repentance. This is called transformation. This is called reformation. Once you respond to God's relentless love, your life is never the same. Because God steps in and you start getting rid of the things that you have embraced that have turned you away from God. Verse 16, he also repaired the altar of the Lord, so he started to worship the right way. He sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Initially, he had influenced them to depart from God, and now he got rid of idols. He repaired the altar of the Lord. He brought peace offerings, and now he said, we, are all, we all need to repent. We all need to be converted and return to the Lord our God. And this is the story of a man that was pursued by God's relentless love. He traveled into the depths of sin. But God found him there. And God wasn't willing to give up on him. Manasseh's life after repentance gave evidence of his true conversion of heart. Because our, because our, action, our actions revealed the intent of our heart. He had a sorrowful sin and he turned away from sin. If you read in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 1, you discover 
Manasse being part of Jesus' genealogy. It is a story of healing. It is a story of love. It is a story of grace. And above all, it is a story of a transformed life. That no matter how far you are from God today, that no matter how far your children may be from God, He is still fighting to bring them back. What's your role? Is that through our lives, through our influence, we will reflect the character of God. We will reflect His love. That in our prayers, we will continue to intercede for those that are not here today or may not be walking with the Lord. The message of Manasseh's life is this. If God loved a man like Manasseh, it means that God loves you and me and He loves those around you. If God heard and answered Manasseh's desperate prayer, that means God hears our prayers. If God forgave Manasseh for everything that he had done, that means God is willing to forgive you and to forgive me and to forgive those that we love but they are not walking with the Lord today. If God was patient with Manasseh and fought for his salvation year after year after year after year, that means God is patient with us as well. He's patient with those that we love and are not with the Lord today. If Manasseh was such an unlikely candidate for the kingdom of heaven, and yet he was blessed, that means there is hope for you and for me to be in God's kingdom because it's not of the stuff that we have done. It's because of what Jesus has done. I want to finish this morning with a passage found in the New Testament, the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. The question, my friends, is this. Will you respond to God's relentless love as He pursues you to rescue you from the land of the enemy, from sin, and from your rebellion. Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. This is what Manasseh experienced, and this is what God wants us to experience. And it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This grace has appeared to all men. Not only to us today as we discuss about God's grace. has appeared to everyone. Teaching us. Now who's teaching us? God's grace is teaching us. Sometimes we think of grace as just an unmerited favor that we receive from God. My friends, God's grace is not only forgiveness. God's grace is the power to transform your life. That you'll never be the same again. Max Lucado used to say, God loves you just the way you are. But he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be like Jesus. And that's why grace is the one that teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, 
righteously and godly in this present age. He wants us to be a positive influence for those around us. That God's grace is not only something that we sing about and we talk about, but is a transforming power in our lives where we start hating the very things that God hates and we start loving the very things that God loves. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from, the, from every lawless deed and purify us for himself. His own special people, zealous for good works. My friend, if you fell into the depths of sin, or if you have someone that has fallen into the depths of sin, let's pray that they will experience the height of God's love. That God's relentless love is still pursuing them. That they will respond to God's relentless love. They will experience grace that brings not only forgiveness, but also brings transformation. Teaching us to deny the gods of this world and to live godly lives for His glory here on earth and forever in heaven with Him. Amen? Amen.